Welcome to the Canvas Ships Podcast, where we try and cut through the fog, the murk, and shine a bit of light on naval and maritime issues of the day. I'm Chris Cavus. And I'm Chris Cervello. Coming up, strategy and concepts, speeches, presentation panels, ships and aircraft and radars and missiles and drones and sensors and torpedoes. And, well, you can sort of get the picture there. We talk about the just concluded Navy League Sea Air Space Exposition with two great guests, Sam Legrone of the U.S. Naval Institute News and the never reticent Vago Moradian. But first, a quick roundup of naval news around the world. On August 2nd, the USS Carl Vincent Carrier Strike Group deployed from San Diego with Carrier Air Wing 2 embarked. The cruise marks the first operational deployment of two different aircraft, the F-35 Charlie Carrier variant of the Joint Strike Fighter, in this case operated by Strike Fighter Squadron 147, and the CMB-22 Bravo Osprey carrier onboard delivery variant of the Osprey tilt rotor aircraft flown by Fleet Logistics Multi-Mission Squadron 30. With Vincent on the deployment, our cruiser Lake Champlain and six destroyers, an unusually high number, the Higgins, O'Kane, Chafee, Dewey, Stockdale, and Michael Murphy. First up for the strike group is participation in the Navy's large-scale exercise 2021 a combination of live and virtual effort involving a worldwide number of participants, including several different fleet commands. The large-scale exercise officially began August 3rd in the U.S. Fleet Forces Atlantic Area, Pacific Fleet, and European theaters. Navy officials described the exercise as an effort to refine the coordination of maritime operations across multiple fleets in support of joint inter-service operations. The exercise is to include evaluations of experimental technology in a variety of warfare areas, including unmanned platforms. A number of more localized exercises are being carried out under the overall umbrella of the large-scale exercise. On August 3rd, Navy investigators revealed details about an arson suspect in the July 2020 burning of the amphibious ship Bonham Richard at San Diego Naval Base. Navy documents say the 20-year-old seaman apprentice Ryan Sawyer Mays, a sailor assigned to the ship, has been charged with aggravated arson and willful hazarding of a vessel. Much of the evidence against Mays, however, appears to be circumstantial, and Mays remains free pending a preliminary hearing. The Navy is expected to release a separate report in September on the fire and the overall firefighting effort. Turning to Europe, the Danish Navy revealed it observed the breakdown on July 30th of the Russian nuclear-powered cruise missile submarine Orel in the busy Kattegat waterway shortly after it passed out of the Baltic Sea. According to an account from the Danish patrol ship Diana, which was observing the passage of the submarine and several other Russian warships, the Orel was dead in the water and drifting about three nautical miles off the Danish island of Sajero. The Russian Navy fleet tug Altay rigged a tow to Orel, but the submarine's crew managed to restart the engines and proceed after declining offers of support from the Danes. On August 6th, the U.S. military confirmed that the attack a week earlier on the Liberian flagged commercial tanker Mercer Strait in the Gulf of Oman was carried out by an Iranian-made unmanned aerial vehicle carrying military-grade explosives. The UAV penetrated the bridge roof of the tanker killing the ship's master and a security officer. A report from U.S. Central Command noted that two attacks were carried out 
one on July 29th that failed, and a second attack on July 30th. That, according to CENTCOM, required calculated and deliberate retargeting of the tanker by Iran. Zodiac Maritime, operators of the Mercer Street, is chaired by an Israeli. And as of the podcast recording, Israel is threatening military action against Iran. The Pentagon on August 6th said Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin and Israeli Defense Minister Benny Gantz have discussed views on next steps. The use of UAVs as attack platforms, already a feature of conflict in the Persian Gulf region, marks a new threat to merchant ships at sea. And that's a quick roundup of naval news. Let's shift gears and move to our Sea, Air, and Space wrap-up segment. Joining us are Sam Legrone, the editor of UFCNI News, Vago Maradian, our patron and editor-in-chief of the Defense and Aerospace Report. Guys, thanks for joining us. Sam, I'll throw it to you first. Um, I, I've got kind of three simple questions to, to frame our discussion. First off, what did you hear that caught your attention uh, over those three days? Um, you guys were running around busy, so I know that you saw a lot of people and listened to uh, a lot of great speakers. What didn't you hear uh, in that time? And kind of what were your big picture takeaways um, coming out of the three-day conference? Hey, all thanks for having me. Um, I guess I'd start to say that we're still kind of struggling with the lack of an overall outlook in a trajectory for the Pentagon due to the lack of a um, a future year's defense plan. So a lot of the conversations, especially about the Navy developing its next set of combatants and its long range future shipbuilding plan, which is on its like eighth or ninth iteration in the last five years, I'm losing track. Um, There were a lot of big questions that, are just not going to be answered. And that was probably the theme that I got over the overarching conference was we're still marking time and we're not ready to talk about some of these big muscle movements we want to do in the future uh, and how we want to use the fleet and how we want to employ it. So that was, you know, the lack of that, that big picture direction when you've got the next generation air dominance platform getting ready to, to get started or, or already starting your DDGX program, which is taking shape at the moment. You know, the whatever the uh, light amphibious warship looks like, that program is going. What are these unmanned systems going to look like and how are they going to fit into the rest of the fleet? We've gotten kind of dribs and drabs, but I was really hoping to get a little bit more of the vision. Uh, as to how these things would kind of fit together and work. And I didn't see very much of that at all. Bago, over to you. Um, do you share uh, Sam's thoughts or did you have other observations that you picked up as you spent time with uh, navalists, with uh, service leaders and you know, with key members of industry over those three days? Sam, I, th- I think is on the mark in that we're in a, tr- a leadership transition. We're at a strategic transition. We're in an inflection point. That, that's that's the problem. I think that for for about a decade, folks have been talking. We've got to change. We've got to change. We've got to change, and it's starting to change. The rudder is coming over. The bow is not yet following. Right. I, I don't want to use an aircraft carrier parlance because that aircraft carriers are actually remarkably nimble and they respond to the helm. Maybe more of a super tanker uh, analogy. A VLCC analogy might be better in this case. And in a period of inflection, when the customer is looking at what that future looks like. Right now, it, it's got a whole mess of ideas that are sort of competing for attention and people are throwing ideas out there to see if they stick. 
what's what's the cogent strategy, right? As Elaine Luria has has smartly raised and a number of other uh, folks, Brian Clark, one of our mutual friends, right? What what does what does winning mean? Is is deterrence really what we're shooting for? Is that winning? What is winning in this context? I mean, the thing that struck me is a lot of great capability, a lot of ideas, legacy capability that can also be used effectively from the future, right? I mean, all you have to do is change the effectors on some of these and, and legacy becomes relevant or, or stays relevant. The challenge is you just look at the totality of what we're doing and, it, and, it, and it's sort of out of sync and increasingly obvious out of sync with what it is we're gonna have to do if we're gonna have to keep deterring China. It's the range of munitions, it's the dependence on oilers, it's a lack or, or not as many of the platforms, not as many of the right kind of platforms. Again, not to beat the drum on naval aviation, they did some, you know, some great presentations in the nav air corner, but at the end of the day, the airplanes we have operating off of those decks are too short and they don't shoot anything that gets as far as it needs to go. So, you, you know, inflection point, folks are reconsidering it, um, a recognition that, you know, we, we do need to have some sort of overarching strategy that pulls all this together, which we do not now have, and hopefully we will get there. And then, to me, it's also a little bit of the cultural disconnects. Again, the, the Navy was a pioneer on unmanned systems. It's been very, very slow embracing and using unmanned systems. And I, I'm not trying to do this to sort of butter, a, butter one of our sponsors, but, but the idea of using a Predator B as a, a long-range buoy ASW sea surveillance asset, clever way if you can stitch that into a, a manned, unmanned, long-range surveillance architecture. So that that's what was one of the things I found interesting. The sea drone, that was interesting, sail-powered solar, you know, sail solar-powered uh, craft, uh, Volance, you know, I mean, it wasn't a shortage of good ideas that were on uh, the floor, but that's, that's sort of my overarching takeaway. Chris, over to you. Uh, are you tracking with where Sam and Vago are, or do you have different thoughts? I think I, I agree with everything that's been said. Um, the beauty of a big trade show like this is you can walk the floor and talk to uh, you know dozens and dozens and dozens of people who are wanting to talk and see what is on display. So we've all been holed up for you know since the early 2020. It's a real coming out party for a lot of people. A lot of things that people have heard about, uh, and an opportunity to get clarity and more discussion, more more detail about any number of things. Um, the big picture stuff, yeah, you know, I don't think the Navy, anybody's going to come out of the of all the speeches and panels uh, feeling like they have a greater understanding of anything. That's the same old stuff, I think, um, with, with, with a handful of exceptions in terms of attitude. Um, I'm referring to CNO's talk on, on uh, the first day of the show about, about trying to get industry to quit lobbying to sell their own products and um, to, to stop slow rolling. Um, but in terms of individual operations, you know, a total endless pl plethora of opportunity to talk to people from, uh, there were things that we didn't see. Um, I didn't see a whole lot of cyper hypersonics uh, displays. I didn't see a whole lot of laser weapons displays. People told me they were asked not to put a lot of that stuff out. Um, I'm not always sure entirely what that means um, because industry, when there are new technologies and new approaches, industry is, you know, of course, incredibly anxious to sell their product to the Navy. They're also very, in, in the course of that, they're anxious to have people identify 
their product with whatever that effort is. So if the Navy's looking for hypersonics or laser weapons, and you would expect people to have a lot of things on the floor just to show what they have to offer. Um, there wasn't a lot of that. There was a little bit of that, but not, not nearly as much, not as much that reflects the Navy's rhetoric. The Navy talks and talks and talks and talks about a lot of this stuff. We don't see it. So, you know, if they don't want people to talk about it, then that sort of begets that question. Why not? Are you really not doing anything? Is that why you don't want people to talk about it? Or are you endlessly trying to, we don't want to talk about it because the Chinese are listening. Um, either, either way, I'm not sure um, those, are, those are good answers. The, um, the shipbuilders were very much on display. Um, I actually, one of the most interesting things I got was, frankly, uh, Austell USA is uh, very much on the move. With um, they're, they're facing the end of both of their production lines at this facility they have down in Mobile, Alabama, was built for aluminum high-speed you know, vessels, the, uh, the Independence-class patrol combat ship and the expeditionary uh, fast transport. Both of those lines are coming to an end. There's no other all-aluminum design that is on the in, in the offing, and they are busily converting um, their yard, their facilities to handle steel production. Uh, they are vigorously uh, chasing the um, to be the second yard of the frigate program. They're very eager to grab up the uh, 20, 21 ships or so that it will be available for the Coast Guard's offshore patrol cutter program. Um, they are willing, they, they are configured to build, continue to build um, steel and aluminum at the same time. They already have a contract to start building um, the last three TATS salvage ship ocean tugs um, that at the moment are Gulf Island um, shipyard is building the first ones. But part of that effort is a, is a direct effort by Congress to to um, accelerate steel production in those shipyards. Uh, Austell is also looking to expand um, on the West Coast and they are looking for a shipyard on the West Coast. Um, expect an announcement sometime in the next, I don't know, one day, three days, four months, I don't know, but um, they are looking to, to uh, establish a shipyard in the San Diego area. Um, they're very, very tight-lipped on, on, on what they're doing there, but that, that would be an interesting development. Um, BT Halter uh, has a new management team, um, and they, are, of course, are preparing to build the polar security cutters at their yard in Pasigula. That's another yard that's going through a lot of changes at the moment, um, getting ready for a real uptick in that. So there were, there were all kinds, of, and as uh, um, Baga was alluding to General Atomic's Sea Guardian aircraft, um, which is competing, uh, for, uh, you know, an updated MQ-4 um, unmanned aerial vehicle that would be a, an, an adjunct to any submarine search, uh, an adjunct to the P-8 Poseidon. Um, there were any number of, of things that were out there. So there's, a, you know, there, there are things to look for, stuff you saw, um, same old, same old, car carrying on, expanding, changing, uh, and there were things that were not there. One one company that was not there is Eastern Shipbuilding, which is building the um, the first off, uh, offshore patrol cutters for the Coast Guard. The uh, shipyard shipyard has had a lot of issues. They've become a regular at um, sea airspace. They were not there. That um, that sort of makes you wonder 
what's their confidence level of, of proceeding with that program. That's a, that's a, that's a serious program. That's, that's 25 cutters, um, multi-billion dollar program. Uh, but they, they were not there. Conspicuous, I thought, by their absence. Bollinger Shipyards was also not there. So let, let me go back to, um, you, you know, some of the things that were said by, uh, by Navy leadership. Um, Sam, I'll, I'll throw it to you. I mean, were there any, you know, big picture takeaways or headlines that you would say um, that you, you didn't know from the Navy prior to going into this uh, conference? Or was it, you know, kind of same old, same old? I think it was same old, same old. I, I'm, you know, we didn't hear a lot from um, Acting Secretary Harker. Um, outside of an emphasis to destigmatize uh, mental health um, care and, and asking for assistance there. Uh, I think, you know, from the CNO and from the CMC, I think um, I was expecting a lot harder questions about BHR. Uh, I'm sorry, the Bonham Richard fire. And then, you know, how that incident informed how the fleet was doing business. Uh, I didn't hear one question about that. And I don't know if that was moderation or if that was intentional. I, I think it was probably just nobody asked. Um, I, I did. I think the other thing that was uh, sort of uh, to the detriment of this show was the fact that the format um, made it very difficult to for people to ask questions. You had to write things on a slip piece of paper and then get it up there, I think. A lot of times, some of the best news comes from, you know, when a young plucky reporter gets to the microphone and asks a, a respectful but complicated question in Navy leadership, and they have to go and prepare so, for that answer. You know, Sam, uh, old, old fart reporters ask those same annoying questions, you know, don't just... Well, we need to encourage the new generation to get out there and start throwing elbows, truth, all truth, I'm saying. It, it just can't be just you and me yelling at people. Um <laughs> So, uh, so I think, I think that was, that was sort of to the detriment of the show, but ultimately uh, I didn't, I mean, I really wanted Navair to talk a little bit more about their vision for, um, you know, the next generation air dominance. I think culturally you see the U S behind in their acceptance of this, particularly in the strike role. I think your ISR sure. But that idea of moving unmanned onto the carrier air wing and getting it out into the fleet at speed isn't something that naval aviation is particularly interested in kind of having that conversation about. So what does that mean for the next generation air dominance platform? How much of that is going to be blended in with unmanned? Um, what are those concepts and how can you test those ideas? And you can go back to the, 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 the famous 2008 uh, paper from, I believe, CSBA, where they kind of outlined this is what a benefit of having an unmanned strike platform from a carrier air wing would look like. And it kind of, you know, was this public document that charted the course for some interesting experimentation. Well, all of that conversation is behind closed doors now. And so we don't know um, how resilient these ideas are and are they being tested because there's this, this, this real fear of saying something that you're not supposed to. And that I think more than anything else is kind of coloring this. And that's why we're having a lot of conversations about a, a light amphibious warship, which is, hey, cool. We could get one of these. It's an LSD, no big deal. But like some of these big programs, these massive programs like the Next Generation Submarine, DDGX, 
and gag they're all coming out right now i'd rather be talking about those than than the law which is which is fine it's an lst you want one buy one cool you want to beef up the ramp on the spearhead class the epfs to make it so you can like you know, uh, operate uh, acvs and recover acvs or amphibious combat vehicles on the beach that's an idea why don't you do that why are we spending so much time talking about these platforms that are not the big components that are going to be part of the fleet moving in the future. They're, you know, I think the, the largest argument uh, I think someone has for, for creating a purpose-built uh, light amphibious warship is, hey, it's early command at sea. We can get those, you know, those uh, O5s out there before uh, they get on a, on a big ship. So, I mean, I think the, the, the scope of what we're allowed to talk about or what's permitted to be talked about is kind of skewed. And the big conversations that we should be having uh, aren't, you know, occurring in public. And so, I mean, I'm not to get too philosophical about the whole thing, but that's really, I think, uh, sort of kind of coloring this. And we're spending all of this time looking at these small individual components and we're missing the big picture for the where the service is going. So, I mean, and that was, that was probably... Uh, illustrated by the fact that everyone was really frustrated with the information that they were getting even more so than usual. So there you go. Just throw my hands up. I don't know if I've got a better answer for that. But that's where I'm at. But that's the so, thing, right? We're, we're talking about a light amphibious warship. It, while we have a whole bunch of LCSs tied up that could easily do the mission, right? So, you know, how much of a delay is associated with it? The, the challenge is, it's tough to talk when you don't have the new political leadership that's in place. So there's nothing that Harker can say or the CNO can say that might not go crosswise to what Del Toro is going to do when when he uh, and and the new under uh, come in, right? Uh, and and the direction that they want to chart for it. The good news is that there is a recognition for, at the very highest levels that we're not on track. And in fact, what I thought was really interesting was when and and no disrespect to any of the figures involved. Admiral Richardson was saying, hey, I handed over a pretty good Navy, don't you think, Mike? And, and Mike uh, Gilday was like, well, <laughs> I got an armful of challenges, buddy, so really appreciate it. I've got a lot to work. And, and he does, right? All of this is falling on Mike Gilday's uh, plate, all of the cultural issues, the equipment issues, the strategic issues, right? I mean, if, you, if you're not as strategic for a long period of time, it, it makes it even more glaring uh, that there is a problem. And, and I think the good news is there is a recognition of the problem. The bad news is nobody yet knows what that looks like to give it shape, give it purpose uh, at, at the end of the day. To, to Chris's point, I, I would make the observation, there are things now that the service cannot discuss, whether it's on hypersonics or lasers or in the electromagnetic spectrum uh, in the undersea realm that we even a couple of years ago would have discussed. Th this is where I think folks misread what Richardson was trying to say. Richardson was saying, hey, flag officers, you're smart enough to know what to say publicly and what not to say. Stop saying stupid crap publicly that you know better than to, than, than to discuss. The problem is, if the service is messing up a lot of things, as, as we talk about all the time, the question is, when you don't hear about the hypersonics or don't hear about the plans or, you know, or lasers are conspicuously not discussed, the question is, can they not discuss it or do they not have a plan or is it half-baked, right? So, so when the public pieces of it that you see don't make sense, then you might legitimately ask whether or not the stuff that you're not seeing makes any sense uh, either. You know, uh, Sam, to your point, you know, I, 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 the Navy's got a lot of thinking to do, I think, as the Air Force is trying to do now, 
is think through, okay, well, what does NGAD look like in, in, in the, the modern era, right? In the future that we're going to. Uh, and so I think that that's, you know, legitimate. Uh, again, the question is, what's the mission? You know, the, the takeaway was we're not quite ready for prime time. We're struggling to get ready for prime time. What do we, what do we need to do? What do we need to do it? How quickly can we do it to keep the other guy deterred? I think that's kind of the key focus uh, on this. And it's, it's, it's not clear where we're going to end up going, which, which is sort of problematic uh, in, its, in its own right. Chris, coming out of this, what are you going to follow up on and what has you asking maybe more questions than you got answers on? Well, it's pretty hard to get an answer on everything, which is what we're really all talking about. Uh, what is your direction? Where are you going? What is the overarching anything? I think the Navy culturally is having so many problems right now, plugging everything it's doing into bigger pictures, being cohesive, being organized, being synchronized. Um, there are so many stovepipes every which way from Sunday. And you can talk about those problems all you want, but they close each other off, they, I mean, internally so much. And there's so much it's just not stated that nobody knows what's going on. Nobody knows how to say anything. And yet, I mean, I mean programs have to keep moving forward. The budget needs to keep moving forward. Um, there's just, there's an overarching sense of an absence of cohesiveness. And all the talk in the world is not gonna change that sense. They have to begin showing something, giving some sense of direction and saying, we can't talk about it, it's classified, I don't want to let the Chinese know. There's there's no element of credibility here that you know you you can trust the organization to to have a handle on things. Um, there's too many things they don't have a handle on. You just talked about mentioned the the bottom Richard fire. So this is already a you know where 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 is any reassurance that that's not going to happen again? Where is any reassurance that you guys know how to fight a fire? Um, regardless of what degradation there was on that ship. It's not supposed to happen, period. Um, where was all that? Navy says they're coming out with a report on the fire next month, in September. We'll wait and see if it comes out. Wouldn't surprise me if they push it out, but I'll be looking for real, honest to God, substantive content in that. The way they fought this fire, I don't care what the excuses are. I don't care if somebody fought it. I don't care if uh, you know the, the stories are... He could have, this uh, sailor who's been accused of arson on the ship or being accused or suspected, probably he's being suspected of arson, um, may have sabotaged, you know, several firefighting stations around the ship. The whole firefighting system was supposed to be tagged out, inoperative. So what? You still were supposed to be able to fight a fire. Your ship is not supposed to burn for four and a half days and then you lose it. So it was a completely failed firefighting event on every, on every level. Where's any confidence that they can that, that can not happen again? You lost a submarine a few years ago, completely unprecedented event. You had a major fleet unit burn for four and a half days in the middle of a fleet base, completely unprecedented event. Where's any assurance that, that, you, that you can handle this? We still hear talk about you know, ship handling and, and the destroyer collisions from several years ago. That's still everywhere. Where's the firefighter? Where, where is that? You cannot, if, if we're going to buy you all platforms, you can't lose them because of incompetence. 
and there's no assurance. So, you know, I think the Navy just, this is their challenge. Can you assure everybody? Can you assure Congress? Can you assure voters? Can you assure the fleet? Can you assure our potential adversaries that you can handle all this? That's their challenge. Well, it is a challenge. This was but three days of trying to deal with that challenge. There'll be, uh, you know, several other opportunities for the Navy to hopefully uh, continue to address that challenge. A two-week major fleet exercise is ongoing, and hopefully there will be more information that comes out of that. But uh, thank you very much for your time. Sam Legrone, editor of USNI News, Vaga Maradian, editor-in-chief of Defense and Aerospace Report. Thanks for joining us. And I look forward to seeing you guys in person again soon. I hope it's not two years before we get to see each other again, uh, again soon. But thanks for coming on. Thank you, guys. Thanks. Now hear this. Now hear this. All right. Now it's time for Squawk Box. Here's Chris Cervello with some afterthoughts from the Navy League Sierra Space. Thanks, Chris. As we discussed, there were two significant takeaways from CNO Admiral Mike Gilday's remarks at Sea, Air, and Space on Monday his concern with industry's lobbying of Congress, and his discussion of the Navy League's large-scale exercise 2021. The CNO made a mistake by publicly taking industry to task. In addition to being awkward and a little naive, it was particularly bizarre given that the moderator of the panel was Admiral John Richardson, Gilday's predecessor and current member of the Boeing Board of Directors, one of the very same companies CNO seemed to be admonishing. Frustration with industry and Hill shell gaming during the markup process isn't new, but given the fact that the Navy has been light on specific guidance, or headlights, as the CNO called it, the rebuke is likely to hang or sting a bit longer than previous public critiques. The sour taste put in industry's mouth isn't helpful and will require some sort of coming together, given the security environment, the budget outlook, and the general consensus that the Navy needs more capacity and newer capability if it's going to compete with the Chinese and Russian fleets. Aristotle is said to have coined the phrase, nature abhors the vacuum, meaning every space in nature needs to be filled. What we see today is a modern corollary. Without clear and consistent service guidance on how it plans to fight and what it needs and will consistently procure, industry has and will continue to fill space in the markup process. This shouldn't be a surprise to anyone who regularly observes how these things go down. But all is not lost. The Navy has an opportunity to immediately bring industry into the fold on the lessons learned and key takeaways from the large-scale exercise being held over the next two weeks. Show industry the value and power of what is happening real-time and use it as an opportunity to synchronize and collaborate and hopefully begin to fill the current vacuum of guidance that is being felt throughout the larger naval community. Okay, well, that does it for this week. As always, our thanks go out to Vago Moradin for his support as well as to the Fincantieri Marine Group, GE Marine, and Huntington Ingalls Industries for their continued support of the Defense and Aerospace Report effort. Be sure to follow us at Cavus Ships on Twitter. And remember, this podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Spotify. I'm Chris Cervello. And I'm Chris Cavus. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.